Hey, engine professionals, machinists, and enthusiasts, welcome to the Engine Professional Podcast. Hey listeners, we're back for another edition of the Engine Professional Podcast. My name is Steve Fox. I'm here with my co-host Chuck Lynch. Chuck, it's been a while since we've been together. How you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, it's uh, been a busy, busy spring though. So It has been very busy. Uh, since our last recording, we've had two regional conferences to finish out the first part of the year. Uh, one was at CWT Balancers down in Norcross, Georgia, at Randy Neal's facility. And I got to tell you, Chuck, I was pretty impressed. I thought it was outstanding. Yeah, Randy didn't hold back, did he? That's, uh, you know, kind of what we expect from him to put on a, a really bang-up show. Everything was laid out well. Um, he, he does things his way, and things were different. And it was two days, and the layout, the format was slightly different. Uh, but it seemed like it was well-received. We had good turnout, good attendance, good content. Uh, heck, he even gave away a balancing machine. That's that's pretty crazy. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, the gentleman that won it, and his name slips my mind here because uh, it's been a while, but uh, it was actually his birthday that, that day, and um, he was about 15 miles from there. So that was a heck of a birthday present. Heck of a birthday present. <laughs> and then from there, we moved on to Norris Marshall's facility up in Nebraska at Blueprint Engines. And again, um, I thought it was fantastic. I thought the facility was just outstanding. Yeah, you know, I know Norris from back in the day when it was Marshall Engines and we were in the uh, same segment of, you know, engine rebuilding. But man, has he gone a different direction with the the new engine program? You got Origin, which is stationary power generators and so forth. A lot of pretty cool applications, and of course the crate engine program. Some of the stuff is core. A lot of new castings that he's he and his team have developed. Uh, really, a pretty cool deal. I was, you know, I've been there a few times. And I know a lot of the folks from the PER world were there just, hey, what's Norris doing now as opposed to what he used to do? So uh, that curiosity thing. But yeah, it was a good turnout, good presentations, good stuff. Yeah, and hats off to both those uh, hosts uh, for A, hosting it, but B, the the staff that they had doing it were were outstanding. I mean, Randy, he had... He had his grandkids there helping out. He had his wife there, obviously. Judy was there. Um, but there was a lot of good help uh, at Randy's as well as Norris's. I mean, Norris's team did an outstanding job just getting everything set up and um, making sure everything ran smoothly. So hats off to both those uh, crews at those facilities to make those as good as they were. Absolutely. And at Norse is one of the th other things that I thought was really neat. Uh, Thursday night, we all got together kind of at a cocktail party, I'll call it. And it was at a car, sh car museum, correct? Yes, it was a museum. Yep. And he had rented the facility and 
had a little cocktail hour there where everybody could get a drink and socialize and network. And then uh, they brought out the uh, a little food buffet, and uh, it was barbecue, I believe, or something like that. And it was outstanding. I mean, just, just the networking the night before and to do something like that uh, special for everybody that was there, attendees and exhibitors, I thought was great. Yeah, and I think, you know, to share with folks that maybe have not attended that are listening, uh, that's one of the really, really important things about these tech and skills regionals is those connections, connecting to maybe that tech guy who works for a vendor that you use or even your competitor. You know, if you're your competitor in industry, but maybe not in region, and you know, people find out that they don't always have to be at odds with each other. They can build relationships and maybe even send each other business. And there's a lot of that good that comes from these meetings. Uh, I just can't hardly put enough bullet points about how good these meetings are for the industry. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's great to get out and network and, and kind of like we tell people, you know, like uh, I'll just use Norris's for example, and we've had them up at Dave Steiny's and TriStar uh, Jasper had one. Um, if you can go there and just take one little thing back to your shop, it was well worth the trip to see those guys and, and even talk to them. I mean, they'll all talk to you. Uh, they're uh, The old days of not talking and sharing things, uh, I think, are long gone in this industry. Right. I think we've kind of figured out that uh, sometimes we have to pick a lane especially with the complexity. And that's what we'll talk about a little bit in our um, upcoming part of this session is engines are getting more complex. So can you, you can't be everything to everyone. So sometimes that guy that used to be your foe, uh, maybe providing what you need for that particular uh, segment of, of your business. So um, you might be able to just sell that 3.6 Chrysler that somebody else is building because it's quite expensive to uh, to tool up for that. Not not just have the knowledge about it, but the tooling to be competitive on parts by and so forth. So you just got to, you know, do smart things, right? That's right. Work smarter, not harder. <laughs> That's what everybody tells me. <laughs> um. Kind of moving on, we got one last thing to announce here, and that is our good friend uh, and fellow employee, Mr. Dave Hagen, is deciding to retire after 35 years at AERA. So congratulations to Dave. Um, Well-deserved. I've worked with him for my 27 years here at AERA, and he will be truly missed. Um, Not only the friendship, but the knowledge he brings uh, to our team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I say, you just you you cheer for people to get to that point in their career, but it, it's sad to see him, you know, not be there every day. So, yeah. But congratulations. He's going to enjoy it. Uh, they got some trips planned, I think, and Dave enjoys fishing, so hopefully he gets out on the water and uh, catches some big ones. Heck yeah, he's our resident fishing expert. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Chuck, in today's episode, we're going to talk about engine testing. We've got the engine all assembled, which we talked about in our last episode of the podcast. So now it's time to test it and make sure everything is functioning right, no problems, no leaks, no issues. And one thing I think you're going to talk about a little bit here is 
engine testing has many methods and the reasons for these tests. Right, right. So I guess we'll start at the top with the, the high level because that's what people are kind of familiar with. They're familiar with dyno testing. And dyno testing definitely has its place, but it doesn't have to be for everyone. Uh, dyno testing is a pretty high capital expenditure for the equipment. And then to run dyno tests, you know, you have to have the water, the, the all of the liquids and, um, you know, you're, you're actually pulling the engine for load. You're, you have to manage heat. There's a lot of things going on, uh, with a dyno that you don't necessarily need for every engine that you build. So again, it's hard to cost justify that sum. The, the other thing is, you know, maybe your customer doesn't care if you've got a dyno sheet. The performance world does. They want to know what torque and horsepower is and where they had peak torque, peak horsepower, especially if you're trying to do justification for a particular gear or whatever, you know, they just, they want those numbers for their build. Um, when it comes to grandma's car, not so much or your daily uh, commute vehicle. So, hey, I just want the thing running and back on the road and reliable. So if you get into that part of the business, maybe you have a hot run stand and you can buy those a lot of places. Um, it, you're not putting the load on the engine, but you're going to use a starter, spin the engine over. You've got a cooling stand, you know, maybe it's a radiator mounted between some posts and you get some basic measurements from the engine. So I'm going to look at RPM. I'm going to look at, you know, the oil pressure at a particular RPM because where, where do most of our complaints come? Hot idle oil pressure, things like that. So you can kind of prove that out on a, just a run stand. You can use a starter, you can do a cranking compression test, but they're still some limitations with that. It does a good job of checking your castings. So I'm actually running water in it. I'm running a cooling system so I can look for leaks and castings, freeze plugs. I could put dye in the oil, try to determine if I'm going to have a rear seal leak or whatever. And then, you know, moving on, we've really improved. Years ago, there was a machine called Sim Test or a machine company, and they had oil pump testers and engine test stands. And it's kind of a cold run process. Um, it kind of, as the engine processes got better, it seems like we quit testing as much. But now with the complexity of engines, we've started to do a lot more engine testing. We have to qualify things such as variable valve timing. Uh, we have to qualify camshaft phasers. Uh, those are some of the right out of the bat kind of failures that you would not want to be spending money on to try to correct in the, as a warranty, you know, because there are a lot of hours. So we need to do something to try to test those things in our shop. And that's what these like RMC, they build that spin test machine. And it, so it allows you to actually push oil through the clearances. And so that's calibrated against a, you know, a particular orifice. And we can say, okay, we know, this number is this many gallons per minute of oil flow. So if you run enough of the same engine, all of that data starts to become really valuable. I can see 
that I have maybe a variation in the housing board that's acceptable tolerance. Um, if you can even look at things like a particular bearing supplier's eccentricity compared to the other guy. So you can qualify a lot of things. You can put the engine um, at a particular degree of rotation, you know, in crankshaft orientation and where that aligns the oil hole with the rod bearing and see okay what's the leakage at that point so you can you can get as much or as little data as you want um, you can actually buy these specific grade oils um, i'm going to mention a name blackhawk oil they had a, a particular grade that it acts like a engine oil that's at 200 degrees when you're at a say 110 degrees so that allows you to do some of the things that, you know, in years past we couldn't to, you know, qualify if a solenoid was actually going to work as it, as it should because the oil flow is different, you know, because pour point of oil changes at like 145 degrees. Well, we're able to do that at low temperatures now. So if you, um, you know, just go into it with a plan, you have certain things you want to look for. It, it's gotten really good um, when we look at cranking compression testing now with the pressure transducers there's there's so much more than just cranking compression that, that we can learn uh, than years before like with uh, the compression testers now using the pressure transducer you can start to map a particular cam profile so if I have a particular engine part number and it's supposed to have this cam in it and then you do cranking compression tests and it's looking at camshaft and crankshaft correlation well you can get an overlay that says you have the wrong cam in this buddy or you have a defective cam or your valve chain is not loaded properly uh, you maybe got the wrong springs got the wrong installed heights and stuff and just by having that that pressure gate or that pressure transducer that you can look at vacuum signal and compression and so again it, it's kind of like we always say about the CNC's your imagination is the limitation but when it comes to engine testing when you start looking at, at some of the data that you can gather um, that's kind of where it gets you can you can learn a ton of information with these cold tests that are really kind of difficult to do on a dyno. Um, if you were to take a look at the cost that it takes to do uh, combustion analysis or in-cylinder, um, you know, compression testing while the engine's running, it gets really expensive. But if you're going right in the spark, in the spark plug hole and taking a look at your um, compression values uh, with that again it's it's really nice to be able to pull that data yeah and on those uh, hot tests there you know um, um, I guess w I've seen some homemade machines to run those test engines you know and seen some of those and guys can make them on their own they don't have to go out and buy one no no not at all yeah. I think most of our guys that have these hot run stands yeah that's what they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, saves a little cost and it's pretty simple. I mean, you don't need much to, to even make one, I don't think. 
Right. Yeah. If you're going to, if you're going to hot run it, yeah, you don't need a lot, you know, just to understand that, uh, you need coolant flow and, you know, something to measure the oil movement, oil flow, oil pressure and so forth. So that's going to be, um, you know, probably a priority in your test and design is how I'm going to manage that. Yep. And, and to running these tests, it obviously puts a little heat cycle on everything and makes sure that everything's sealing good with no leaks or anything like that. Right. If there's a downside to the cold test stands, that's probably it. Um, like your braking oils, they probably don't work as well. Well, probably it's not. They do not no, work as well it. without heat. Um, that's a fact. That's just the way it is. So kind of another area that we have uh, been talking about more lately um, I've had some relationships with some of our members members and and we talk about the spintron testing so the spintron machine would it's kind of been gone for a while they they were used in in a lot of the cup shops and so forth and in some of the camshaft suppliers but not a ton of people are using them and then as of late with the opportunity to make our own cylinder heads i mean it's it's gotten much easier to to go buy a five axis machining center and make your own head if you want right so now i probably need to qualify what i'm doing and if i'm going to make a head and i have to understand valtering stiffness rigidity uh these used spintron machines are getting bought up and people are putting new control systems on them and whatnot and they're they're testing valve trains so i it, it's kind of funny uh some of the folks that it, i helped sell spintrons have turned around and asked where they can buy one and put it back into operation because they're they're learning that hey there's a lot of good information that i can get from this so um again it's not it's not necessarily your complete engine test but there's a lot of good data that's, that it can give you that's really hard to find on a dyno. So uh, there's, you know, what data do you want and where is it going to come from? So, you know, a dyno is not an end-all, be-all. And the cold test machine is not an end-all, be-all. But, you know, just if you pick the segment of the market that you're trying to, to be in, again, if you're... If you're a high performance guy, you just about have to have the dyno to satisfy what the customer's asking you for, right? Mm -hmm. So, and it's nice on some of these later model engines, you know, where these they got this variable, um, you know, these cam phasers and BVTs and all that stuff. You can you can run them through or test test everything on that spin spintron tester too. Right. Yeah. So when you've got the ability to cycle that on and off and you know in like the cold test machines like the rmc or whatever i have crankshaft orientation relative camshaft orientation and set some parameters around it and then and actually you can do that while you're doing cranking compression so if i retard the exhaust 60 degrees what's that going to do to my uh cranking compression so i can again i can look at a couple things is it actuating and is it having the impact on that a consistent impact on my crank and compression 
So there's, again, a multi multitude of things you can test. You just have to put some thought into what's valuable to me and on a go forward basis. Like some of this stuff, you know, is going to be different than in the vehicle. And you have to take that in consideration. So if they're cranking at 275 RPMs, but you're doing your compression test at 350 and a guy calls you and says, hey, I've got low cranking compression what did you record when you built this because you tell me you test your engines well hey those aren't your your specs are going to be most important to you for consistency in your product right not necessarily the guy that bought the engine how long should somebody on these machines run this you know are we talking five minutes 10 minutes 15 minutes an hour you know i don't think it needs to be an hour but hey some guys may so if you're hot testing, then oil temperature is, is a big factor. And if I get the oil to 145 degrees, then that's where pour point changes significantly. And you might set up a process that maybe it's not really about the time. It's that when it hits this particular water temperature and oil temperature, then I take my test data. If you're doing it cold, again, as I mentioned earlier, you might have a, a test oil that allows you to really condense that because that's not really going to change that much. So I can test the engine in, say, four minutes. Uh, one of the things when, from my experience in the past, when doing hot run testing, and again, this is going back, you know, 30 years, and then coming forward and some of the things that you learn, like, Okay, a big block Chevy, I get all of those temperature values that I'm looking for pretty fast. They generate a lot of heat. They're big, they're heavy, everything's iron. And then when we would start testing engines that were all aluminum, they shed heat so quickly that it was difficult to reach that temperature. So we were like, hmm, we have to heat the oil or else we're not going to get these things right. tested in a, in a reasonable amount of time. So we started preheating the oil that went into the engine and kind of preheating the, kept the water at a particular temperature so that we could get something done because we had such a big system that the engine just couldn't generate the heat to warm itself up. So boy, the things you'll learn just from, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's where we learned that, hey, you can't use 1540 to test everything when stuff started coming out with VVTs and mm -hmm. so forth. Um, Wow, that oil doesn't flow through that through that solenoid valve like the the zero W twenty does. So now you have to to look at those strategies too. There's always plenty to think about. <laughs> Something that just kind of came to mind here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, uh, coming from that production engine rebuilders market, how? When you guys, and this is a little off topic because we're really not testing, it's more of a research and development question probably. How long would you guys run an engine uh, on a durability test? So there's a base of like a 50, 50 hour durability test and in the proving of parts. And that again, that's the baseline. So if I'm on a release a new product, it would see 50 hours on the dyno and, and it gets... It gets brutalized, to be honest. You wouldn't do a run like that if you're going to sell an engine to somebody for, you know, in a performance world. Right. 
I mean, you're trying to see if these parts are going to live over the long haul. So you just, you thrash it and you beat on it. And that's a baseline. And then you take it apart and you look and say, hmm, we better be looking at this a little closer. And then you may do a hundred hour test. And I know some of the stuff that we did for customers that were like fleets. You know, we may have a hundred hour, 125 hour test. Uh, we've done some 250 hour tests and do some really, really crazy stuff that you know, like eh, people don't really use stuff like that. But, you know, Brian coming from his world in the uh, head gasket development, they do some stupid stuff <laughs> that you just couldn't imagine. Like, okay, we're going to heat this. We're going to run this thing as hard as we possibly can. The water is going to be oh, 200 degrees and then we're going to fill it with ice water. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now when and where is that really going to happen? But, you know. Yeah, before Brian worked there a long time ago, our good friend Mike Caruso, uh, he used to work at Felpro. He had a picture of one on the dyno. And, I mean, that that header is just, like, glowing red. Like, it looked like the sun. I mean, it was so hot, and it was just going. I'm like, holy cow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not and to, then fill it full of cold water. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, not to jump off topic there, it just kind of popped in my head. You know, it's not really what we're we're talking about here, but it just was like, Ooh, I wonder on like those durability tests and how long do those things run? And and I mean, they're pretty much, I mean, it's not a light RPM either. I mean, your guys are kind of hammering on it, like you say, to make sure that these parts are going to work and and it's going to be successful. Oh, absolutely! You know, wide open throttle, no loads to, you know max load and then hold it there for a long time uh again you're, you're trying to kill it to see that your processes you know what what they're yielding and then you can turn it loose so again those always happen those tests happen before you actually start releasing that particular product for production so again that's just a a proof testing they'll never see that again once they've gone into production yeah. Maybe as an audit, that that would be it. And kind of kind of what made us bring this topic up, you know, it, obviously it fell right into place after you assembled the engine, you you want to test it. But then we were up at uh, Marshall's and saw them doing some testing on their stuff. And it was just kind of eye-opening of, of seeing what they can and what they do and how they do it uh, on their testing up there. Yeah, absolutely. The one of the things that they were talking about and and it's no secret they shared it with all of the groups that went through is they even do contract testing for people they may not end up with any of the work building that particular engine but they they sell testing they sell that science of testing and so that was pretty neat too a lot of people don't have the opportunity to get exposure to that and and why they would even do it but yeah, they had clients from uh, around the world that sent them stuff and said, you know, beat it up and teach us. <laughs> cool. I think we've given a lot of good information here on engine testing, Chuck. I think um, one thing that we could probably drive home is if you have the ability to or to do the testing, you definitely do it for sure. I mean, even if you just have a dyno, just throw it on there. Just run it. Uh, run it to make sure there's no leaks, everything's sealing good. Um, you know, that little bit of just knowing that when it left your facility is, is right, uh, means a lot. Absolutely. Uh, 
you know, that consumer confidence. And if you build processes that you, you can stand behind and, you know, validate it like that, that's, uh, people were really, really unhappy when something fails right out the gate. Right. Oh yeah. Now they'll tolerate, you know, two years down the road, it spun a rod bearing. Yeah. They might complain to you, but in the back of their mind, they have to know that wasn't craftsmanship. I probably didn't change the oil enough or it leaked out coolant. It overheated. That's not the engine builder. Not two years down the road. Typically you hope that's the case that the guy realizes that, but I'm, I would venture to say that uh, some of these people think that the warranty is a lifetime on these engines. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't disagree. They have to know better, but when it's, when it comes to money, uh, people do shady things. Oh, you know? <laughs> yes. oh yeah. Well, Chuck, we're going to talk about it in our next episode of the podcast. What do we got on tap? We're going to talk cylinder liners and, with the you know the diesel market out there uh this is something that uh, we haven't because our calls are very very heavy diesel anymore um the industrial world is is where people are going to spend money to keep things going you know your your passenger vehicle stuff the end value of it you don't have nearly as many high dollar rebuilds there uh, it's got to be a work vehicle typically that that you see people spending a lot of money on but the diesel world we we have a lot of that so we'll we'll discuss uh you know the cylinder liners um traditional sleeves like dry sleeves wet sleeves we'll just we'll hit on a few of those different um topics and uh share you know some what's critical to quality and and uh, durability well great uh if you haven't subscribe to the engine professional podcast already please do on your favorite podcast listening platforms or you can listen online at podcast.engineprofessional.com and if you'd like to email chuck or i with any comments or questions please do so to eppodcast at aera.org and we do appreciate those that have sent some in we do have a good list of topics to talk about and with your additions uh, we do appreciate you sending those to us so Please keep those coming. Well, Chuck, uh, signing off here. Uh, it is the month of June. Uh, I'd like to wish you, as well as all the fathers out there, a happy Father's Day. Well, thank you, Steve, and happy Father's Day to you. I think we've been successful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. I'll, yeah, we'll put us in that category, too. <laughs> so, yeah, everybody enjoy your uh, Father's Day. Spend it great with your, uh, your families. Uh, enjoy the time and uh, we look forward to talking to you soon Chuck all right till next time see ya <laughs>